0: All right, everyone, welcome to another
1: episode of Not Your Fathers Movies. I'm Vito. I'm Mike. And I'm Matthew. Dad Fathers coming at you with some big dad energy. And today we have a special guest. It's my wife. Liz. Hey Liz.
2: Hey, hey! we're so happy to have you. What's up, Liz? Really excited to be here. Uh,
1: so this is the- a this is
0: like a first-time, long
1: time situation. Yeah, because you named the podcast. So it was, it was about time that you came on. Oh, I see. Um, how does it feel to be a dad finally?
2: <laughs> you know, I've been hoping for this my entire life. So I, <laughs> was amazing.
3: I
1: understand. Dads are pretty great. Yeah, it's, it's,
0: it's really nice to just sort of, uh, you know, we, we contribute what we do. And then afterwards, we're just like, oh, my wife is just so strong. She's so incredible. She just really nurtures the the crap out of those kids. I'm here just supporting from a distance. It's nice to be on the other side of the fence, isn't it, Liz?
2: So much easier over here.
0: (laughs) The air is light. It's (laughs) breezy. It's pretty wonderful. Um, But anyway, so thank you. So Liz actually did give this podcast its name very early on in the stages. And so for that, she will always have the title, uh, The Namer of Names.
4: She's almost like the dad of this dad podcast in she a way is because she like made the name and then kind of walked away. Exactly.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: get the title honorary. Honorary. Honorary dad. Father.
0: Honorary dad, honorary father. dad father. Course, there we go. Of course. There we go. The first.
1: Uh, you get a You get to drink whiskey uh, with us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So trophies are in the budget. There we go. There's there we crank. go. Um, the, the trophies are in the budget next year. So look out for yours in the mail. Don't remind us, though.
4: <laughs> Am I going to get a trophy, Vito?
0: No. No, Aww. you're not. Um, you're going to help pay for the trophy. <laughs> oh,
3: shit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, we are joined by our very special guest, Liz, because we are talking about 1962's To Kill a Mockingbird. This is a part of our Not Your Grandfather's courtroom dramas that we've been doing. Um, other episodes that we have done in this is uh, 12 Angry Men and also A Man for All Seasons. Um, so this is coming from 1962. It was directed by uh, Robert Mulligan, who has kind of a quieter career. He's not a very talked about director, I feel. Um, he's mostly known for his association with his producer, Alan J. Pakula, um, who's a much, much more well-known director. So Robert Mulligan, though, does have some standouts that I've seen in research, some like uh, Summer of 42 and The Others are mentioned quite a bit. I haven't seen anything else this man has done, and neither have I heard anyone ever talk about anything else he's done. I've I've never heard of either of these. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was just yeah. looking through these and I was like, I don't know about this guy. Um, but Alan J. Pakula is actually a much more well-known guy. Uh, he directed Clute, The Parallax View, All the President's Men, Sophie's Choice, Presumed Innocent, and The Pelican Brief. At least three of those movies are movies that I regularly return to and very much enjoy. Uncredited producers on this are Harper Lee, the author, Robert Mulligan, the director, and then Gregory Peck, its primary star. This was, I I do want to point this out that this was written, adapted for the screen by Horton Foote, um, who won the Pulitzer Prize for his own play, The Young Man from Atlanta. And he is the receiver of two Academy Awards, uh, one for adapted screenplay, this movie, and the other for his original screenplay of Tender Mercies, also starring Robert DeBall. Tender Mercies is just a, a, for any listener out there, it's a a heartbreaker movie. It'll it'll crush (laughs) you. Maybe a future episode, maybe.
4: Yeah, okay. I've
1: never seen it either, so. Yeah. I mean we'll, it depends we'll on how how much we want to be like heartbroken I think. Yeah,
0: imagine your heart is like an egg and then Tender Mercies is your heart being cracked into a bowl and then scrambled vigorously.
1: Ooh, I love it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm interested.
4: Like
1: <laughs> <I'm> getting scrambled. <laughs> Anyway, I don't want that for myself, but I guess we could do that if we really want. <laughs> well, we'll see. This this might be in like year three, Vito's choosing things, and it went sad. Uh, <laughs> by the time we get to year three, it's just going to be all Vito being like, oh, these are all my favorite movies. <laughs> Stay tuned,
0: everyone. Year three, it's coming. It's coming. Spider-Man
1: 3, again.
0: <laughs> don't tempt me. Um, <laughs> Uh, So we do have music, though, by Elmer Bernstein, the incredible Elmer Bernstein, with 256 credits on IMDb, including The Ten Commandments, Magnificent Seven, The Great Escape, Meatballs, Airplane, Stripes, Ghostbusters, My Left Foot, Age of Innocence, and The Rainmaker. This is quite a track record for this man. Wow. Maybe the most storied of all the careers in this
1: movie. Yeah, that's crazy. That's a lot of different kinds of movies, too.
0: Yeah. And and it's, I was actually kind of thinking about that watching this movie is, um, there's a few moments where there are some musical cues where I go, yeah, it makes sense. This guy would later go on to do, you know, meatballs. Like (laughs) this is kids goofing off in the summer. I can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's starring, of course, uh, Gregory Peck, um, who is just a legendary actor. I have things up for him that he's been in, but I don't know if we need to really remind people of, of why Gregory Peck is famous.
4: (laughs) He's everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had one of the best sort of leading man roles, um, from 1940 to maybe 1960 that could ever be remembered. But Mary Badham, who plays scout in this movie was Oscar nominated for this movie, her very first credited role for supporting Wait, female actors. For this movie? For yeah. this movie. Yeah.
4: How how old was she? Do you know? I mean, she couldn't have been more than 12. I don't right? think she was more than 12. Yeah. I, I wish I had her age. I wish I'd done yeah. that research, but she's tiny. I mean, it's, it's kind of awesome. How, how often do kids get nominated for an Oscar? She she had
0: the she had the record for youngest nominated actress until um, the actress that was in uh, uh, Paper Moon, uh, oh, Peter okay. Bogdanovich's film, okay. uh, came out a few years later, and that actress still holds the record. Gotcha. But she has not been very active since this movie. She has done uh, some TV shows. She did Twilight Zone, a couple movies, semi-retired in 2005, and is married a school teacher and raised kids. Her brother in the movie, too, uh, Philip Alford, went on to be a very successful businessman. John Magna did have a few roles in some things specifically in Star Trek that are pretty well known, but he unfortunately died of AIDS in his forties.
4: And that's still right. That's still that's still. Yeah.
0: And everyone else that populates this movie is just a, a, a working character actor. This is just a very workman kind of cast. Everyone is known for stuff. Maybe not at the, that, that time, but later on. Yeah. It's, it's a deep cast. It's a good crew. It is a movie that, probably shouldn't have worked because there's none of your typical Hollywood hooks, right? There's no love interest. Um, There's no personal drama. It's really about the story all the way through. What do
4: you mean by personal drama?
0: I I mean that where there is drama and politics in the family, that's Mm -hmm. because that's the story. Like There's there's, there's no additional fat to this movie. It's very lean. It's very clear. Gotcha.
4: Yeah, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, Um, pretty straightforward all the way through. So anyway then, that's that, that's sort of all the information I have and I sort of wanted to hand over the all the hosting from here on to to Jesse
4: because that's that's I think everything that we need to know about the movie. Does anyone have anything to add? Uh I don't think so. I don't have anything to to add. I, I was looking at the other like Oscar nominees. So this was nominated for for a Best Picture Oscar. But like this was a huge year for movies. I just maybe maybe that's the only thing all that I'd <clears> add. Uh we had Lawrence of Arabia, which won Best Picture. Mhm. Wait, worker. is this is
1: this another one of Mike's lists from the 1960s I I have well, got
4: a few I, I also have Mike's history as well it's it's not it's not as long but there's just as many uh birthdays So so
1: we're doing we're doing uh, a <laughs> real quick we're doing like a like a We're doing the Mike's 1960s segment
4: there it is. There it is. No, no, no. this is just, I just wanted to list off the Oscar winners because a lot of these movies are like near and dear to my heart and uh, especially The Longest Day. Oh, yeah. Um, which was just a fabulous, fun movie. Music Man. I don't know about
1: fun. If we can talk about The Dude, Longest Day. Okay. <laughs> I, I
4: saw it as like an eight-year-old. I was like, this is awesome. John Wayne and everybody else is in this That's movie. True. And doesn't everyone die? I mean, it's it's, it's sort of. Like, half, everyone like half of the people okay, die. I, think, I mean, it's about it's about One D-day. person
1: doesn't. One person does, doesn't. I can't does remember John,
2: who, Does
0: person. John Wayne die? I think, is that one of the yes. movies John Wayne dies in? I don't think he yeah. dies. No. Jesse's very certain about I it. I he does.
4: Yeah. I think actually most people live. Henry Fonda's in it. He lives. Liz um, is Googling. <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: The industrious sounds that you hear is is Liz Googling to make sure that we're, we're talking about because
3: <laughs> well, we are unprepared. <laughs>
4: well, okay. Oh, okay. But just really quick. The Manchurian Candidate, Mutiny on the Bounty, and mm. The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Classic. It's just what, like these are all in different buckets in my mind. Yeah. And it's crazy that they all came out in the same year.
0: I, I, I would say that individually and and collectively, those movies slap.
3: Yeah. Is what I would <laughs>
0: say. They do slap. <laughs> they do slap. Uh, li- yeah. Liz, in I mean, your research corner, do you, do you have anything for us?
2: Wikipedia is not telling me anything.
4: Uh, I'm going right. to go ahead and say I'm right, and uh, <clears> we'll move <throat>
1: along from this segment. <clears throat> that sounds par for the course. Before we do <laughs> our next episode, I'm going to look it up, and we we get bragging rights. We get dad rights. How about dad rights? We get dad rights for dad Robert's Dad right rights. Right. I'm, I'm putting my All dad right. rights on the line. We're going to announce
0: dad rights. Jesse's right, and I'm going to pass the baton to Jesse. Jesse, do you see us in the virtual video chat, passing you the baton? Here it comes. I
1: Virtually. And I have it in my hand. And hey, guys. So I'm just going to give a brief plot summary of this movie before we go on to nostalgia. So this movie stars, well, it's about the six-year-old Scout. She lives in a small town in the south with her brother, Jim, and her father, Atticus. And uh, basically everything is fine and happy. And her and her brother wander around doing little kid things. Until one day, a judge comes up to her lawyer father, Atticus, and says, Hey, I need you to defend this guy, Tom Robinson. And it turns out to be a big deal because Tom Robinson is black. And he is accused of rape against a white man's daughter. And, of course, the white men in the town say, Well, he's a black guy, so don't believe him. We're white. And it becomes a huge deal because the guy... What's the guy's name? The father? Mr. Uh, Hewell. Robert E. Lee Hewell.
3: Yeah. Robert
4: Robert E. Lee Lee Hewell. Yeah,
2: how could you forget that name? The
1: most southern (laughs) of all southern names. So, Robert E. Lee Hewell kind of riles everybody up against Tom Robinson and leads a mob against them. Atticus stands up and then also literally stands up in court and defends Tom Robinson, but unsuccessfully, even though logically speaking, it seems like a pretty successful defense. Um, He proves that Tom Robinson couldn't have did it because he would have had to use his left arm, but Tom Robinson's left arm is useless because it was caught in a cotton gin years ago. So after the jury convicts Tom Robinson, he gets shot by a sheriff when he's being transported to the prison. And then shortly after that, basically Robert E. Lee Hewell attacks Atticus's kids, Jem and Scout, and then... Out of nowhere, kind of like the town crazy person who's been locked away for years called Boo, he comes out and saves everybody. And then at the end, the sheriff says, well, let's not charge him with murder because let's just say he probably killed himself. And they leave it at that. That briefly summarizes the plot. There's a lot more in there about sort of growing up and kids and finding things. Honestly, a lot of the first hour is mainly just like kids being kids and going off and doing crazy adventures that you would never do in the 2010s or 2020s. Yeah. Like, like I was watching this movie and being like, wow, I don't think I'd ever let my kids just wander around the streets like that. Yeah.
3: And also it's a very small, town.
1: It, a very small yeah. town. You're right. But
0: also I love that you could let your kids go out and play. And then mm-hmm. when it was time for bed, you would simply walk out to your front porch and just yell your kids' <laughs> names.
1: And then they would come back home. I, like,
2: how far could they really be? Oh, geez. Right,
1: right. And because you trusted all your neighbors, right? Even yeah. if you didn't like your neighbors necessarily, like there was, you know, the scary old woman who would like yell at Scout and Jem as Mi- they're by. Mrs. DuBose. Around.
4: She's got a Confederate pistol in her in her uh, in her, in her lap. robes. Yeah, yeah. She'll shoot ya. <laughs> She'll you. You come ya. back here, Jean Louise Finch. You don't hate me, Jean Louise
1: Finch.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I love the first app. Dat- well actually I don't love I can't really say I love the first hour so maybe I'll start out with nostalgia then because I don't really have much like I think this is one of the movies that it was on sometimes i like some of the, the scenes I remember uh not none of it really stuck with me maybe some courtroom scenes and then later watching it as an adult like we watched it because Liz was teaching it at the time and we wanted to compare like the book and the movie and stuff and it, you know, so I watched it again as an adult. It was it was all right. Even watching it now, I really, really like the second half. And then the first half kind of bores me a little bit. Hmm. Um
2: <laughs> in fact we had to watch it over two nights because the first night Jesse was so bored, he was like, Can we finish this tomorrow?
1: <laughs> Classic Jesse. <laughs> yeah. So I think we know where I'm going to head with this movie. I I still really like the movie. I think it has a lot to say, but overall, I like just watching it again, it's just especially coming because we just did like Twelve Angry Men, and uh, A Man for All Seasons, and those were so tight all the way through. The dialogue was so amazing, and then here it it's not quite that. It's more about like reminiscing, I think, about a childhood which I've never had before. So I didn't quite get it as much what do yeah, you think jesse, yeah, just just for everyone
0: just for everyone to know um jesse was born an adult yeah <laughs> and, uh,
3: and
4: bypassed all of those early stages. came out fully bearded it, it was very disturbing for his mother um the beard really threw her off i think he he's he's actually kind of like benjamin button he's going backwards so he hasn't had his childhood yet well and also it's really sad for him because he was born <laughs> at like at like
0: age 40 like he has a very
1: short life <laughs>
0: you should not be laughing this is very sad
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. it's
4: serious. Yeah, we
1: we no, we should all laugh for the childhood I never had. I,
2: You'll, I, it's it, coming. It's
1: coming. <laughs> don't worry. Pretty soon, I'll be roaming through the streets, like greeting all the grumpy neighbors. Yeah, yeah. yeah I I can't. I, I can can't wait big big to hold around. baby Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really weird oh, that, idea. That's, that's
0: creepy. Does the beard that, fall that out? This
1: whole idea no, of a dad
0: podcast. I I, like, I, I I think the beard gets bigger.
1: <laughs> does the beard get <laughs> bigger? old, it does. Let's like does the beard get bigger? Of
4: course. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. There we go. You awesome. Yeah, it gets the biggest that I am in real life when I'm uh, the oldest. Uh, Santa Claus. Which is my youngest. <laughs> Dude, this is like tripping me out, man.
2: I don't know what I'm doing anymore. All right. <laughs> uh,
3: Vito.
1: Vito, when did you first come in contact with this movie? You said this weekend? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am very much
0: uh, a To Kill a Mockingbird newbie. I, I missed this in high school, uh, which I guess is when most people would approach uh, something like this. I, I feel like if you would ask the the common person on the street, if this was like um, all the late night talk shows when they go out and they just ask people around random subjects, everyone would be able to remember when they were 14 or 15 reading this for the first time. Um, I just never had that kind of experience with it. I always knew that it was a classic. I always knew what it was about and that it was important, but like a lot of movies in this ilk, I will not name them here because I don't want you to think that I'm stupid, <laughs> but there are a lot of movies that I'm missing that are classics. I'm so happy to have been able to, to say that I, I have seen this. Um, and I've seen it twice. Actually, I watched it twice this weekend and I, I could not disagree with you more about the way that this movie flows from first act to second act from first hour to second hour. Um, this movie, uh, I did, I, I kind of thought I had two preconceptions. One, that it was primarily a courtroom film. And two, that it ends with uh, Gregory Peck's sort of rousing final closing argument um, in The Trial of Tom Robinson. Um, neither of these are true. Um, in fact, there's another 20 minutes after this like big climax where he delivers this incredible six and a half minute speech that's almost entirely a one take. And they said that that was the first take. They did it. Oh, wow. They did it the first time, and Peck nailed it. Wow. Peck had it. And if, if you wow. watch it, it's surprising how long it, it goes without cutting. Yeah, um, it just keeps moving. He keeps it's so intense. Yeah, and he keeps it moving around the builds. frame, and the camera slowly is following him. And his his hand gestures are so beautiful. But I I loved that first hour of getting to know the kids, really understanding that Atticus is not really the main character. He's the hero. But he's not the main, it's really about the kids watching their father go through something very intense um, and what mm-hmm. they learned from that and what they learned about um, racism, what they learned about um, excluding different people, what they learned about acceptance of your neighbors. I, I love this thing, uh, start to finish. This is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. This is very, cool. very special to me. And I, uh, I'm going to spoil a future section when talking about this nostalgia is that um, I, I can't wait to show this to my kid. Uh, my kids uh, in the future because um, this one is really big, and I, I could not believe I had slept on it for so long. Yeah. Um. I. I mean. I. I mean. Mea culpa. Mea culpa.
4: I. Yeah. I, I messed up. <laughs> hey, that's cool. This is like the one and only time that's going to be the case. I feel like I'm saying that every time, like every movie. I'm like, oh man, I should have seen this before, and like this is a movie that I've seen. I tell, I, tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So, to, I guess to to jump over. Yeah. Um, I think I, I don't remember when I first saw this. I think I was way too young to get it. I didn't get what was going on, like what Tom Robinson was accused of. I guess I thought, like I realized that it was like beating a, a white woman and it, like there were race issues. I didn't know what rape was. Sure. Um, yeah. And I thought it was just kind of like violence. Um, so I, I think it was like pre-puberty. Wow. Um, when I first saw it and then we didn't watch it for a long time. So, so, so
0: your parents really pulled a veto and they just showed this
4: to you. Just like, yeah, like, here, watch it. <laughs> well, so I had heard for a long time. One of uh, our, our close family friends is a lawyer. And uh, as, as all of our listeners know now, we, there's a lot of lawyers that have kind of been around in, in my life. Um, and so they always said like, oh, this guy is Atticus Finch. Um, and so I think I pushed for it. It was like, oh, I want to see this movie, this, this movie that you've all talked about that, yeah. that, that Pat's like. And they said, Oh yeah, sure. And it was just kind of the case of like, they probably hadn't seen it for 30 years. And then they realized like, Oh, you know, this is all about rape. And so we didn't watch it again after, you know, after then until I was in high school and uh, was able to get it and understand what was going on. Um, But so much of, of this movie is impactful. And, and Atticus Finch, I mean, I think, I know for me it was like, wow, this is you know this is what a man looks like. Yeah. Um, this is yeah. what it means to to be a man. Sort of operating in the world today. Yes. I mean, it's a movie made in the '60s about the '30s, um, so it's not really. It's almost a hundred years ago. This story, yeah. But uh, the way he he takes stuff and, and what he what he does in defending Tom Robinson, um, the way he approaches other people for the most part is pretty. Um, pretty great something to shoot for
0: yeah um, I, I wish I had yeah. the self-confidence and and the that clear understanding of who I was and yeah. how I was perceived in the community oh my gosh and yeah. what my responsibilities were because he he never seems to be out of step with the big picture yeah um he knows who he is he knows how he's perceived and he knows how to how those two are married together and how that is himself to yeah. talk about like Thomas Moore from Man for All Seasons yeah. um, is, yeah. is another way, another man. And I, what I would believe juror number eight to be also in real life. Yeah. Um, these are men that know exactly who they are, exactly where they're at and exactly what they need to do because that's what just matters. themselves.
4: Yeah. What matters to who they are as people. Yes.
0: So like yeah. that, that, yeah. that, that one scene I want to draw that as a, as an example is when he's walking out when the kids have snuck in cause they want to see where Boo Radley's cell is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and then he kind of comes out and he sees the kids and he sends them packing and then Yule comes out and is like, Hey man, like, thank you so much for, I, I, I I'm sorry to bother you with all this stuff. I
3: mean, yeah, yeah. I was like,
0: you know, Mr. Finch, he's on our side. I are just wasting time here. And Atticus goes, no, like I am duly appointed to be his representative and I will defend him. And he goes, he goes, but, well, like, you got kids that young. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he just says, he just says, good day. Because that's exactly what he needs yeah. to do.
4: And Jules says, what kind of man are you? Yes. And
0: yeah. he doesn't respond because it doesn't matter because yeah. his actions speak for himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Oh, yeah. I yeah. think, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Drawing the comparison between him and Thomas More, was it's funny because when I was watching it, I was like, wow, Atticus, in a way, is sort of the ideal American dad in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's the dad who's just... Like he's a man who like every little boy like looks up to and's like yeah that's what I want to be like I want to be poor but well dressed and I want to be logical but empathetic and also I n- need to know when to just be silent and like like there's that part where Yule spits at him afterwards right and he yeah and he just kind of like looms over him just a little bit and is super intimidating <laughs> because yeah, he's just yeah. so big uh, he's got that sort of like American strength i guess there's something about like big well, american dads it, it, that are it's yeah. well it's it's righteous
4: strength and then he just yeah. like he waits just the perfect amount of time pulls out the handkerchief and wipes his face off and then and then just walks around to no him. then throws it
1: yeah well <laughs> while he's walking th- around he just because he doesn't it. want to have anything to do yeah. yeah it's it's the best response i want nothing to do with you i don't want any of you on my face but it was funny contrasting that to like thomas More because thomas More is not the he's not the righteous strength sort of guy. He's more like the witty guy who, who's more, he's way more cunning, which is well, way more of like a British virtue. I, well, I'm well, not no, British, no, no. but no, it just but seems like it is.
0: No, it's just different because Gregory Peck is Atticus is not the one on trial. Yeah. Thomas, Thomas's person is on trial in that movie and his person hmm. while it's being tested and he must stand up for himself and he must defend this, this defendant with his own personal set of ethics and his understanding of the law he is the um, he's, he's on trial here. He needs to defend himself and Peck has to defend somebody else. Yeah. What did you want to say, Mike?
4: Correct. Well, I'm just, uh, I, I really want to hear about Liz's nostalgia with this. Of course. Yes. Um, and I, I want to conclude conclude mine because yes, I, I wanted sorry. to share that. Um, so f- for me, you know, there's a lot of stuff here, like seeing, seeing this guy, like he's, he's a real sort of paragon of virtue and an example of virtue to me that, that I, I really, you know, stuck to. Um, as a kid, and saw like, oh, I want to be like that. But it was also interesting because um, I, I felt a lot like the kids. My father had passed away when I was when I was young, um, not as young as they were, but it was kind of a contrast with um, with them because their mother passed away. Mm-hmm. There's that beautiful scene with Scout and, and Atticus together, yeah. and then the brother tearjerker man, and the brother um, too when she's talking to the brother. When she goes Yeah, to sleep. and then she yeah, and then they, oh, yeah, they go to sleep, and uh, it was it was kind of cool. It was it was something that was like you know I, I connected with. Immediately on that level, and then uh, from like the "oh, I want to be this man" mm-hmm. um, level as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that, that's my nostalgia. I guess you, you said you'd read the book a few times too, right? I've read it a couple times, um, and then I, I read the Ghost of a Watchman recently. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I read them a lot later. I don't know if I'm really interested in talking about which I think is better, and that's what everyone's going to ask. Like, oh, which do you think is better? I think that they're both e- extremely good on their own. They're very um, similar. Yeah. But it's been a little while since I read it. But Liz, I know that you you read the book uh, fairly recently, right?
2: Was- well, I I didn't read it fairly recently, but I taught it to several classes of eighth graders. So when we were going through the book, I taught each chapter three times in a row each day. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Wow.
2: So at some point I knew the book really well, <laughs> but it's been about five years. Okay. Um, eighth so, graders. Yeah. That, this is
4: a heavy subject for eighth graders. I It I don't... is.
2: That same year we also read Lord of the Flies and we kind of oh took the two books oh, nice. in conjunction, which was really cool. Like Vito, I, my first experience with this movie was in my adult life. Teaching it. So that was terrifying yeah. actually. <laughs> And so I don't have like the nostalgia aspect, I guess, that, you know, I would have if I if this was required reading as part of my own school experience. But I had the really unique experience of seeing the story the first time through the eyes of pretty young readers um, and kind of helping them understand what was going on and grapple with all the themes of the story, which maybe we'll get into later later. And that was a really special experience for me because, I mean, obviously I had to learn it and understand it really, really well to be able to teach it, but also to just watch them come to understand what this book and just story was about was really cool. And so I watched the movie for the first time when I was teaching the book. Because, I mean, I think we were just like, oh, why not? Yeah. Let's just watch the movie because <laughs> I'm... <laughs> Completely immersed in the book right now, and yeah, yes. I mean, I really like it. Uh, I think Gregory Peck makes Atticus really come to life. I I, I don't yeah. know how you get a better Atticus than yeah played by him. Yeah. Uh, he
4: didn't he like fight he like fought for that role, but also didn't Harper Lee say basically like uh,
0: Har- Harper. Harper Lee broke down in tears at one point seeing him walk onto set, and she said. Um, you remind me so much of, of my father. And he was actually able to meet her father who died during production. Um, they had had a bit of a relationship. Um, he based uh, almost everything on that. And so when she saw him uh, at this particular, I don't know, I think it was during her three weeks when she was on the set. Um, she said, you, you look so much like him, even down to your little pot belly.
4: Oh my God. And he said, he said, Miss
0: Lee that is just good acting. <laughs>
4: <laughs> the pot belly.
2: The pot belly, yes.
4: That's um, but actually she, ha, have you ever seen like an interview with him or anything?
0: I, I, I've seen a couple, not necessarily about this movie, but uh, yeah. the last thing yeah. to sort of yeah, conclude exactly. that that relationship that they had is that um, she actually gave him her father's watch and chain and he wore it at the <gasps> Academy Awards ceremony where he won wow. um, the award. Oh, the, that's really Oscar
1: cool. for
4: Best Acting. Oh, wow. That's really cool. That's
2: really special. That's
1: amazing. Yeah.
4: He he. uh, I I saw an interview by him a a while ago, probably talking about *To Kill a Mockingbird*. Sure. And I guess I guess he said, you know, like that's the movie that people will stop him in the street to talk about. And he's passed away at this point. He just like has this quiet dignity to him that's like he. I'm not sure if this is acting with Atticus Finch. Like I think that this is him. He he had a quiet dignity. He had just an extreme thoughtfulness that is pretty rare to see. I think in in an actor giving an interview which was just, it, it's something that, like, really struck me when I saw it. And I think to add on to that point, too, and yeah. also to add on to sort of
0: uh, his his portrayal of Atticus Finch as being maybe emblematic of his own character, um, Brock Peters, who plays Tom Robinson in this movie, actually delivered his eulogy at his funeral. No way. Yes. Wow. That's so cool. Um, and he wow. he kept up with the, the two child stars, specifically Mary Badham, throughout their lives. Um, and Mary Badham talks about the relationship we had with Gregory Peck, and, and he would always call her Scout. And she would call him Atticus.
3: Oh man, um, that's,
0: that's really cool. Because he knew her from when she was a young child.
3: Yeah,
0: I mean wow. that Sorry, tells
2: Liz. me that this this movie had a profound effect on the personal lives of all of the actors involved. Which yes, yeah. that's that's really cool.
0: Yeah, it was it was it was very deep. Um, and yeah, and I I think that it's meant it's it's made to to garner that response. And I'm I'm so happy that I think that Liz, maybe you're in the most perfect position for this because you were able to talk and help kind of form ongoing future opinions of this movie, like future generations that are coming, how they view and react to this piece of art. Um, You were a big part of that. I mean, that's, that's
1: pretty incredible. Yeah. How, how did the eighth graders react to it when you guys were going through it?
2: This was a, it was a heavy story. Like you guys were saying to be tackling with kids that age I think one of the things that they grappled with the most was the courtroom scene and Atticus's argument for why Tom Robinson is innocent and just going through the details and figuring out like, Oh, there's, there's this mountain of evidence that he's innocent. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that the jury could stare the truth in the face and turn around and, and say that he's guilty. I mean, I just watched them struggling, like, how is that possible? How is that humanly possible that, that people can do that? And for a lot of them, this was the first time they'd, that they'd really thought about that, about um, a total lack of integrity and a total just injustice happening in the one place where justice should be upheld the most. Mm. Um, And I mean, they were just floored by this book and Uh, just, you know, the story.
0: I think if there had been like a camera on me, you would have probably seen similar facial expressions because again, like (laughs) I said, I have, I, I just knew that there was this trial and I just sort of assumed that uh, (laughs) justice wins out. I mean, Gregory Peck wears a white suit, like he's the good guy. And the argument that he makes is so persuasive. It's something I've seen in so many clips of the greatest monologues ever given on film. Um, and I just thought like the, the sheer power of this performance of these words should convince anyone listening. And then the whole trial building up to that too, when, when like his arm, he's like, no, I got it caught in a cotton gin when I was 12 and the muscles tore loose. It don't work. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, I just, I really wanted to like, I, I I was so puzzled by what was happening and I, I was angry and, and frustrated and mm-hmm didn't know what to do with myself. So I, I, yeah, I, I feel for those eighth graders. And when it was finally over, I f- had that same feeling of being betrayed almost yeah. like I yeah. felt betrayed by the movie. I felt betrayed by the American justice system. I felt betrayed by culture. I felt betrayed by my fellow man, which honestly, since we're recording this in 2020 and we've seen what's happened with recent yeah. riots, protests, mm-hmm. political movements, political ideologies, equal treatment for people. it just, I I get it. I'm mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: But, th- but that's exactly what she set out to do, right? As the author of the book, I mean, one of I think one of the most striking lines and one of the themes of the story is when Atticus tells Scout, like you don't you can't really understand a man unless you walk around in his shoes for a while, and that's climb exactly into his skin. yeah, climb into yeah. his skin, and you know what you're describing is kind of exactly what I think is the whole point of this. Is I mean, you're reeling at the injustice of it because y- you've seen it from the point of view of Atticus and kind of through Atticus, Tom Robinson. And you can't understand how this could be true, but it is. And how it, there's no better way to get across, I think, what should be you should be getting from this movie than doing it in that way. So it's kind of cool I to hear one, you talk I have about one it like question.
0: that. I have one question for you, and it's directly related to this, Liz, um, and maybe I'm stepping on something that, that should happen later, but it ends, right? The trial ends. Tom Robinson is guilty. He comes up behind Tom Robinson and says, look, it was optimistic to think this would go well, okay? But we got him on the appeals, and Tom Robinson just gives him a look, and they leave. And later on, um, you hear that Tom Robinson has been killed, okay? Now, the moment that the movie ended... I turned to my wife, who who is a huge fan of the book, and this is her first time seeing the movie as well. She she didn't want to spoil the book for herself. Uh, but she loved him <laughs> a being in. Um, but the first thing I said was, yeah, they murdered Tom Robinson. Like they straight up killed that guy. Um, because how else is is this man who who is who cannot use his left arm, he can't even catch a glass with it? He broke free. Of restraints and ran. Have you ever tried to run with your hands handcuffed or tied in any way? It's really hard. And try and imagine you handcuffed and you can't use one arm. And you overpowered deputies and you got away and you were gunned down. Yeah. No, I I I, I think that the police straight up killed Tom Robinson. I don't think they wanted to wait around for an appeal. I don't think they wanted to see what would happen with him maybe getting out. I think they, they ended him.
4: I, I, I think so. I mean, I I could...
0: Sorry, that was loaded oh, yeah. and everyone yeah. wants to jump at it.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll go first um, and then you can go. I, I think it's possible that he tried to break free. I mean, like the look that he gives is like, no, we're not going to appeal this. Like I'm like he knows that he's going to die. Um, mm-hmm. And so it could have been like a suicidal break free. But I, I really think if anything, it was just like I'm going to give them the opportunity to shoot me before I have to go through the process of, of you know being put to death. Because he yeah. knew that if he if he did break, they would shoot to kill, as they did. I mean, and, and to, I, I think either way that I, I think either way you're right. Basically, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, I don't think I would go so far as to say that they intentionally shot him. Well, well obviously they, they, they intentionally did. they intentionally shot him and and killed him, but I don't think they they just. Cold bloodedly killed him. He he was like running away. There there's I think the running away thing is happening. I think that's all I'm trying to say. And the reason being, like, well, he's having his freedom taken away, and there's still some connotations of slavery here, right? Like he had his arm like mangled in a cotton gin, and he's like they describe him walking every day to go work in uh, in a field somewhere, but he. Yeah, but he gets stopped every day by this white woman who's asking him to come inside the fence and do work for her, Yeah, right? I. I've, so like, yeah, slavery is not there, but it still seems like he's, there's that looming aspect of that that can still dominate his life again because it still sort of is, but he still has like some semblance of freedom, which is why he's able to have a trial before before he goes off. So I, I think either one, maybe he just wants to escape before he and die a free man rather than, um, rather than die a slave, which is what he thinks might happen to him or, or two. Hmm. He like, think like in this movie, there is a mob of people that come and try to kill him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or at least brutally meet well, him up. But I imagine they insane. were thinking of lynching him. That's yeah, great. Yeah. they're Yeah. Gonna they lynch him. yeah for, for sure. So, like it was a lynch mob. He's, he's going to get lynched. If he goes to prison, like he, He's
2: well, he wasn't going to go to prison. He was just going to get lynched. And he knew that.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, like. Well, well, what, what, yeah, what, do you, what do you think, Liz? Like, is this is this suicide by cop? Or is this intentional murder? What is this?
2: I mean, I think it was left ambiguous for a reason. But my interpretation was always that he knew what was going to happen to him he knew that there was no justice to be found in an appeal and he would rather die by running away with a gunshot than be lynched.
3: Hmm.
1: And it was your eighth graders that said that too, right? Yeah.
2: They're the ones who kind of came to that. I mean, oh, that's I don't neat. know if you, if you can use eighth grader minds as evidence, but, but how,
1: how did they we take are that? Now. Like I what mean, did I, they, I,
3: what I did think
2: the eighth graders They think were really smart eighth graders. Yeah. Oh, they were horrified. They were absolutely devastated because that's not like you're saying, Vito, I think. That's not the way the whole story is built up. Like Atticus is an upright just man. Therefore, he should be able to prove that Tom Robinson is innocent. And what happens instead is justice is not served. And it's it's so disappointing. And then on top of it, not only is he found to be guilty, but just out of nowhere, he just, he dies. And I think one of the, the beautiful things about the way this story is told is it's also through the eyes of Scout. And so for, you know, for that to happen for, I think you just, you feel the jolt more because you're seeing it through a, you know, she's like what eight or nine at this point, you're seeing it through a young girl's eyes and there's just, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It, it mm-hmm. just happened. And now she and the rest of Maycomb are left having to make sense of it. And it's, it's a senseless death. And that's what's so awful about it.
1: Yeah. 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 Um, well, while you were teaching this, did you ever have to explain racism to your kids?
2: No. Maybe, I, maybe I an
0: important part of this list just real quick is, is maybe just try and identify, um, Sort of what what ethnicities you the kids were primarily that you were teaching?
2: Yeah, they were definitely primarily white, um, but I, I had several black students. Um, and the the really cool thing about so we taught we taught this book in a very Socratic method where everybody had a voice in the room, and you know all everything that I did was meant to get all of them talking about it rather than me lecturing. And so um, I think that everybody kind of was able to put aside those things and just talk about the story as the story itself, which was really cool for me to experience because that's a mature thing that people our age are not able to do
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: in many, many mm-hmm. cases.
1: I still struggle so, to this day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, it, it was Socratic method, so every day you had to, like, come up with a question or something to, like, ask them to, like, throw a conversation, right? So what were what were some of the most, like, engaging conversations that you had? Um, like, what, what question did you ask to get that, that started?
2: Well, um, I think one of the more obvious ones is talking about that quote from Atticus, who says that it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Which, and obviously, you know, the name of this book and movie is called um, To Kill a Mockingbird. So one of, one of my favorite questions that I would ask them is, you know, why is it a sin to kill a mockingbird? And then once we hammer that out, who, who is the mockingbird in this story? Or who are the mm-hmm. mockingbirds? And I mean, yeah, that's probably my favorite question of the whole thing to talk about.
0: I don't you, know if do you guys want to take a have, shot at that. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. you guys have
1: a have a take on that? Do you have something you'd you like to to, to talk I, about in regards to that? I, I do have one take on it. Because I, I was looking up, because after Atticus makes, uh says the thing where, like, it's a sin to kill a mockingbird, but he could go out and shoot all the Blue Jays that he wanted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> blue Jays suck. But yeah. It really struck me that Atticus's last name is Finch. There's yeah. Atticus, Jim, and Scout Finch, and then there's also Tom Robinson. So I, I just randomly googled like mockingbirds and finches, and the first thing that pops up is like Darwin. Oh. So Darwin was influenced by mockingbirds and finches, right? Those I were knew the, first the finches. He, yeah. So he at first he was studying mockingbirds, um, huh. with with the beaks, and uh, and the, and then it led to the finches with all on all the different islands, kind of determined that like oh these all came from like one species so, so i think this book is of, about evolution <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's written against creationism that's that's the whole point of it that, oh, yeah. that's oh, what we yeah. should take away from this yeah, yeah. All, right. all right uh well i, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that you could maybe take away that maybe like the finches and the mockingbirds are sort of supposed to be the same thing and i think you can sort of say the same thing about robins right if you think about finches mockingbirds robins those are like nice sweet little birds and maybe connecting it back to Darwin, they all literally came from the same bird. They come from the same source. They are the same thing. They just evolved to be slightly different looking.
2: That's interesting.
1: Um, and, then, yeah. and then there's a Blue Jays, which I think it's left to imply if, evo- if you're taking the evolutionary standpoint that, like, yeah, these things are the, essentially the same, but Blue Jays are notoriously bullies. Yeah. They yeah. just, like, harass the other all other thing. birds. I so- uh, they,
0: they harass birds yeah. and people and cats and Everything. children. They, yeah. they're, they're awful. I, and I hate
1: them. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody hates them. That's why it's okay to kill the Blue Jays.
0: Yes, it Except is. I, Go ahead, Vito. Oh, no. I I almost bought a pellet gun because there was this Blue Jay that would not <laughs> stop harassing the neighbor's cat that came over to say hi to my daughter. And my daughter's day was so much made by this cat's appearance, um, and this, this blue jay made her hide underneath the car. And so my daughter <laughs> would be car? trying to interact the, with this the, cat. The while cat this...
4: hid beneath the car. Or your daughter, no, or no, no, no. The, the cat. The cat.
0: They, okay. If
4: my daughter hid underneath the car, clear. that
0: that blue jay would be dead. Yeah, uh, up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no, but it, and it would be annoying because I could I knew when the cat was around because I could hear that damn bird outside. Yeah, and I'd be like that 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 bastard is out there again tormenting that beautiful neighborhood cat that my daughter gets so much joy from. <laughs> That's really fun. Um, anyway, sorry, Liz. Yeah. What were you gonna say?
2: Well, it's ju- it's just interesting because going with like the blue jay thing, I'd say the most obvious blue jay in the book is Misty Bows. Um, uh: And it's really this isn't fully represented in the movie, yeah. but in the book, Jem gets so mad at her that he goes and ruins all her flowers with scouts like twirling baton. And Atticus is so um, he holds her in such high regard, and Dubose, that Jem's punishment is he has to go over to her house and read to her every day for a month. Oh, wow. And it's like the worst thing in the world. But you end up learning that Mrs. DuBose is actually addicted to morphine. And, oh, my gosh. And yeah, Jem, and she's, dying. Um,
3: yeah.
2: she's right. dying. And Jem kind of, through his friendship with her, kind of inspires her to wean herself off of morphine. Oh,
4: my and god, Yeah, that's right. Oh, she man.
2: dies in the process.
4: Oh. Um, but she dies a free woman. That's like a huge thing. I completely thing. forgot yeah. about that.
2: I know. It's a really striking oh. part of the story. So I just think it's really interesting because I, I'd say one of the themes of of everything is that you have to look past all these things about people, whether that be race or attitude or history or whatever, to the person who's, you know, at the core. So even even Jays, even Jays are are precious, I would say, is ultimately what we need to be taking from this.
3: uh,
4: that's that's, really interesting yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah so i mean i'm trying to remember the full quote i I don't remember it word for word but he says something you you can never kill a mockingbird because all they do is sing for our joy yeah Mm -hmm. and it seemed to me i mean the most sort of obvious answer to that um at least if you're looking at sort of structure and everything and the fact that he's doesn't do anything like mean to anybody is Dill, right? Or not Dill, um Boo, Boo Radley, mm-hmm. Arthur Radley. Mm-hmm. Um because all they, he does they, they is... name him as a
0: mockingbird. That that yeah that quote yeah is correlation.
4: Yeah. And the end quote is, you know, um is, is Scout saying, you know, he's a mock it would be like shooting a mockingbird. It, it's what the um it, it's what the the sheriff, right? Because he
0: doesn't want to call yeah. him out. He doesn't want to arrest him in any way for probably having killed Yule. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. he wouldn't he says he wouldn't want that. That would that would kill him. Like, yeah. to be thrust
4: into the spotlight when yeah. he has some sort of debilitating social disorder. And it's not because like he'd go to trial or, any- or anything. It's because all of the nice ladies in town would be bringing him angel food cake every day. Yeah. And he'd have to see people. It would break him. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, that, which that's really cool. It, it's a really cool scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, like, there's there's a lot more there, though, right? Because, uh, I mean, the, the the story's really concerned with inequality in general, right? Um, yeah. Yeah and really like people sort of on the fringes of society are like the, uh, I I feel like that's almost like the, the obvious choice for who the mockingbirds are. Like the scene where he talks about the mockingbirds the first time they've got uh, the Cunningham boy, will, will Cunningham. Yeah. Which like as a kid seeing that that's the scene that I remember the most because I didn't understand like why pouring maple syrup all over your food was bad because i was like eight and i thought like yeah i wish i could pour maple syrup all over everything you you were buddy yeah Yeah. but now it's like they're having roast for lunch like that's the weird thing to me but um (laughs) but that i mean that's when he brings it up And, and i think that in a lot of ways you know like will cunningham at that moment he's the mockingbird it's like no don't don't shoot this guy down. Like Scout, what Scout did was talk to the teacher and say, basically like he's poor yeah. and don't like make him feel that way. The way that Atticus had told her, don't make Mr. Cunningham feel that way. And, and actually Calpurnia in that scene is the yeah. one that like bangs on the, bangs yeah. on the Scout. Can yeah. I see
0: you for a minute? Yeah. And
4: then she gets in there and then she just rips into her. If, if she, <laughs> if, if your guest wants to eat the tablecloth from under, you're under gonna the let place, you're going to let them. That man is your guest. Yeah. But then, I mean, we've got, and then finally, you know, kind of mainly in a lot of ways, true. The most truly, the outcast of society is um, is Tom Robinson, yeah. right? Uh, he's he's black. He's outside of that world. He's, he's black. He's poor.
1: He's disabled. Yeah,
4: yeah. One, he's two, back. three. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it also literally seems like he lives outside of the town. Like they always yeah. go out to oh, the yeah, middle they of nowhere yeah. nowhere. yeah, to go to this house where apparently and it's, and, people. it's the and it's like a shack. We're, we're fully, yeah
4: were fully pushed out of society. They, they were an entire society to their own. They didn't have, they didn't go to the same churches. Mm-hmm. I think there's a part in the book where they go to church. Right. Which is mm-hmm. a really beautiful part. Yeah. But then I, I think it kind of like comes back even to Atticus as being something of a mockingbird. Right. Like it isn't that kind of, I, I mean, I don't know. I was kind that, of like. That is the,
0: that is the point that I, I did want to make earlier. I'm, okay. glad, I'm glad you kept going, but Atticus, I, I would say, Liz, you you tell me if I'm wrong here in my reading of this, but um, I, I would say that Atticus is not the hidden mockingbird in this because I think it's too maybe on the face of it to say that, but he is he does sing for others for for the pleasure of others. I mean, everyone in the neighborhood has something good to say. Like the the, the the neighbor uh, Miss Miss Mabel is that her name
2: when Bonnie? when which,
0: yeah when Jem wouldn't come out of the tree right mm-hmm. um, yeah. and. And Scout's like, Miss Mabel, I'm, ha- I'm having a terrible time getting Jim out of this tree. And she goes, "You kids should be so thankful that man can make a will airtight." <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know that he did something for her that set her up for- very well. Yeah. Um, and you you kind of get that impression for everyone. Even even Yule has a very high impression of Atticus.
3: Mm-hmm. Like
0: he he looks at him almost as a friend. And he's kind of startled when Atticus kind of comes back at him, saying like, "No." the relationship that you think is going on here is not in fact going on here. I'm not one of your good old boys. I don't know what you thought. He really does seem to be that well-loved, well-respected. He's done something for everybody. No one has a bad word to say about him. He does seem to fit that mockingbird persona pretty well. What do you think, Liz?
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And so he's he's a mockingbird who's hidden in plain sight. And although the book isn't, as obviously about him, I think, yeah, I think he's a really good example.
0: I think, I think this, the title too, is also referring to his, his almost his death, right? Like it's not the death of his character and maybe not even the death of his hope, but it's a death of something in him when this does not go, a Tom Robinson is not acquitted or found innocent and B Tom Robinson is killed. Yeah. There there seems to be something that happens to him. I, I don't even know what I could say it is, but there, there's a death of something inside.
2: I mean, how I, can I, there I, not be?
0: Yeah.
1: I, I that's think that's, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's sort of true. Maybe it's like, if you kill one mockingbird, then they all die in some way. But also I think it's a death in, in scout and jam in a way. Cause this is almost like a coming of age story in a lot of ways. Right. For sure. Like this is about like scout Learning about the adult world, not just running around with Jem in, in their little town doing little kid things, but this time they're actually peering into the adult world and tearing, seeing its hideousness. And and being threatened by it, almost dying, almost getting murdered, brutally murdered, Literally. walking home from like yeah. a Halloween party. She's she's okay. I have to say, Jill and I laughed so much because she's
0: in a
4: damn <laughs> ham costume, and, it, you, really and it says ham just a, the
1: whole time.
4: Right? I, I would never know what it was if it didn't say ham. So like, maybe like, 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 Mache has come really far since 1962, guys. So, so the second the second watching
0: of it, I was I, I was a little bit less like in the moment. Um, because it's the second I'm watching it in two days. So I know that Jem is, is currently fighting for his life and he gets his arm broken. Yeah. But I just love the almost Peanuts imagery of a little girl <laughs> stuck in a
1: ham costume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It can remind me a whole lot of Charlie Brown. I think there is a comic run where that ends up happening. It's so funny. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's funny. It's
3: hilarious. Yeah.
4: It's funny. That's it,
2: childhood. It,
1: it, yes.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'm that's totally it. Costume. Yeah,
4: that's childhood. Like it's these brutal things going on, but like you're kind of stuck in a ham costume. Stuck in a ham. And you don't. You can't see them. Maybe oh, okay, I don't know. Okay, guys, I'm Do writing a memoir, <laughs> and it's going to be called "Stuck in a Ham." <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Yeah, I know you would. I know you. you're going to read. Oh, the just
1: to read, stucking in stuck in the ham, stucking
0: <laughs> stucking in a ham, yes. stucking stuck in, a in a ham. In a this, ham. this is This, is, this is great. We're, we're going downhill. <laughs> um, but I, I, did, I didn't mean to derail. I'm sorry uh, from the conversation about mockingbirds. But um, Jesse, did you have an idea about who who might have been a mockingbird in this, or
1: who was a finch, or who was a blue jay? I think at the end of the day, they're all birds, and they're all supposed to respect each other as birds, yeah. but. But the Blue Jays, for whatever reason, don't. But but you sort of hope that they do. Uh, that, that in the end is my conclusion with it, especially with the the finches thing and the robin thing. Like they're all so innocent; they're just innocent birds, and they're all s- connected through evolution, f- through one common ancestor. I think that I think that's a symbolic idea. With that, that's oh, what do you think, Mike?
4: I I, I never you thought about that. that. Well, I, just just to I I think to to kind of bring it all all kind of home. Um, I think that what you're saying and what Liz was saying to begin with was kind of like even Miss DeBose, DeBose, DeBose? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, she is, a, she appears to be like a a, a blue jay. Um, she's, she doesn't seem like a nice person. She seems like a really bad person. But then you find out there's this whole story that's underlying her life. And, and mm-hmm. she's also an outcast of society. And kind of every single person is living in this isolated way finally, Mm -hmm. right? We're all outcasts for some reason. And what you've got to do is to, you know, climb into someone else's skin and walk around in their shoes to realize that how, how isolating the world is. And I wonder if, I mean, like, that's kind of the crux of growing up or or like what it means to grow up is to realize like everyone's kind of this way. And and what you need to do
1: is to, yeah,
4: I don't know. Maybe that's too, too big of a statement, but
1: I, yeah, I, I I guess I I don't want to harp too much on the evolution idea, but I guess what Darwin did was he just, he saw the faint similarities between a bunch of different species of birds, right? He saw, and so like we should be doing the same thing, even though people look externally very different, you should be looking into the core and going into their past to find out like where you have some commonality between them. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like like, I wonder, like, like for yeah. instance how how we are all able to be friends even though Jesse is part lizard. Yeah. I mean, we've not brought this up on the podcast, but Jesse
4: has a salamander's head. It's really cool actually. You can chop it <laughs> off and it grows back, right? Yeah, we've done this a couple times. Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, you should see our kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean
0: Liz
4: is a gorgeous human woman and she was so nice to marry this lizard man. That's how much this book impacted Liz. She yeah. was like, <laughs> I need to go out to the mocking lizard. I need to find a and... mockingbird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we found a, a lizard, and and uh, Jesse's well, a beautiful
1: man for it.
3: Beautiful,
1: with a oh, beard. Thank too. you. Yeah, He's growing you back know, w- we are going to post some wedding <laughs> pictures soon, soon on the podcast, Just so everybody can see what what exactly uh, what exactly my beautiful wife did for me.
0: I mean, I mean, you need you need to sort of touch up some of those you were shedding pretty badly, um, but uh, so Liz, it, it, in teaching your eighth graders, was there other was there other not archetypes, but but character types that they pointed out or that you pointed out to them that you'd like to share with us?
2: Well, I think we haven't talked about Mayella yet.
1: What did your oh. kids find so fascinating about her?
2: Well, I think at first they were like, they thought she was pretty evil, which is understandable because Fair they were read. just like, this woman is accusing this innocent man mm-hmm. of rape. Like what kind of a woman does that? But then you, you really look into it and, you know, you realize that, first of all, she was most, I mean, she was completely abused by her father, at least mm-hmm. physically, well, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she was left alone to take care of, I think it's seven siblings, they're dirt poor, and she was looking for companionship and she was looking for somebody to save her from her loneliness and Tom Robinson. And I mean, he was a married man and she shouldn't have done it, but it's completely understandable why she did. And the fact that her father, you know, beat her up and, you know, completely shamed her for, for just wanting to seek out human companionship is really, really sad. So on the one hand, it it was wrong of her to do to, you know, to accuse him of, of such an awful thing. But on the other hand, she had never been treated well herself. And she was really just dealing out what had been dealt to her for all the years that she'd been alive. So I think in a different way, she's a mockingbird. I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, mm. it, it kind of it reminds me yeah. of exactly what Atticus says in his big speech, right? She did something that in our society is unspeakable. She kissed a black man. No code mattered to her before she broke it but it came crashing down on her
3: afterwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, her, like you're saying, her real sin was not number one. I think primarily her real sin, you know, there, there's this, this bonds of marriage here and she holds this position of societal power over him. So she's exploiting that power. But number two, the thing that she, this, her sin here, quote unquote, that society is telling her is that it was with a black person. And so in that, in that desperate desire to connect, she has uh, sinned against society in two huge ways, which really mm-hmm. puts her on the outs, and actually does, I, I think, in a lot of ways, engender a lot of sympathy. Um, like, like you said, you know, towards from the other direction, from Tom to Mayella, you know, he had the temerity to feel sorry for a white woman, yeah. because mm-hmm. without these these boundaries of race and and sociopolitical mm-hmm. um, constructs, they were two people um, who had genuine human feelings towards one another as to their circumstances in life and while one should not have acted the way that she did like you're saying liz it's entirely understandable that that happened and it's yeah even the stuff that he says about his own emotional state towards her that's entirely understandable too you know yeah. he's he almost he talks about her like being in a cage right that was and almost about- like his biggest sin
4: was yeah. feeling sorry for her yeah yeah
2: right and just the fact that it took her a year to save up enough money to send her siblings to go get ice cream—a
0: slap desperate,
2: year, yeah—how desperate could she have been to do that? You know, like, that's really sad.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way the way that, that uh, Scout introduces the movie in her retrospective um, uh, narration to say that you know there was no money, but it's okay, there was nothing to buy anyway. Yeah, like. This is truly what no money looks like. It takes you a year to Mm -hmm. save up seven nickels. Seven nickels. Mm -hmm. 35 cents a full year so that you can have one afternoon where you can actually try and interact with someone outside of your social strata and feel something.
4: Mm I mean, she wasn't just. She had had him on the property many times before. No, no, yeah. yeah, But like, that was like, she wanted. She she wanted to have sex with him like that's that's what the purpose of it was yeah yeah I think
0: she's looking for that human connection yeah she's looking yeah yeah it's still crazy yeah
4: but it's crazy like she she spent a year with this solitary focus putting away scent by scent so that she could have it
2: it's wild and I think that's why I love this story is the race issue is important but race is put alongside of many other forms of inequality. Yeah. Um, And I just love yeah. how it gets at that. And it gets at the human condition and human nature, which again is, you know, why we read this along with Lord of the flies. Um,
1: yeah. Actually, just based on what you're saying, it sounds like literally every inequality you could think of, like women mm-hmm. race, apparently in the book, it's about drug addicts and how old people are treated too.
3: Mm-hmm. And, and, and also, it's very much
1: about poverty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, how poor people are, not not even poor people, but literally poor farmers who are so poor they can't afford the lawyer fees, so they come and drop off, like,
3: Food. baskets of goods <laughs> every
1: now and then or too embarrassed to say, mm-hmm. like, I, I did this for you. This is mm-hmm. part of my entailment. A,
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, because
1: it's a, just such a debt that he owes, he doesn't even want to acknowledge it.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: what they, what they talk about, too, like, like when Scout asks, like,
0: Daddy, are we poor?
1: And he goes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And she goes, are yeah. we as
0: poor as the Cunninghams? And he goes, no. No no, no. Yeah. like they're actually like
2: not. the richest people in may most likely yeah. Yeah. yeah like
1: if you take a look at his clothes as paired every compared to everybody else he's he's got a suit in a lot of ways like i again we did the 12 angry men and like when henry fonda comes on screen like he's the everyday man but he's slightly better i think Wait, i mentioned a, that in the last he's an and, architect right like he's upper yeah. middle class yeah. yeah right and atticus kind of strikes you the same way yeah, he he's he's one of us. He's he's poor, but he's slightly better cuz he's always walking around really well dressed and just carries himself so well.
3: Well, he has a he's servant a town lawyer,
0: you know? Yeah. He he actually has a servant that that he pays and she she keeps his house and helps yeah. raise his kids and cooks them meals and does the laundry and they have a very good relationship, but you know, he he has enough money that he can sustain someone on payroll. Yeah. You know.
2: True.
1: But then again, that might be why he why he's poor cuz he kind of he honestly needs somebody in his house
4: since yeah, his wife died. Her. He yeah. Like,
1: what else would he do? Yeah.
4: Well, it's every everyone's poor. It's the crash, right? Yeah. Everyone's poor mm-hmm. in the crash. It didn't yeah. hit us as hard. Yeah. The reason why it didn't hit them as hard is because mm-hmm. the farmers who had hit the hardest mm-hmm. are going to him to for yeah. legal services and they have to pay him for something. I mean, what are you going to do? Not
1: have lawyers? <laughs> like,
4: nothing, yeah. you
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nothing
4: you can do here.
1: Yeah. Nothing you can do here. Liz, you, you would also mention that your kids were also really drawn to Boo Radley too, right? Which is strange to me. Like I, I never read the book, I've only seen the movie, and Boo Radley comes in at the very end. He's a spectre. In, in wow. the creepiest way imaginable. He's standing behind the door and Scout points <laughs> uh, him out and they did apparently really apparently, they'll think it's normal because <laughs> Dad walks out walks out of the house. He's like,
4: Oh yeah, that's cool to have this white person <laughs> hanging out. In well, my, my kid daughter. Daughter, like like
1: Pale person hanging out with my
4: kids. I close the
2: door for it, you guys to be alone. It, it,
4: it yeah. did
1: work in the movie, but just if you think about that for any amount yeah. of time ever, I would be like, "No, get out of my house! I, I will beat you out." So. I, I think I think it shows how much he trusts Boo, and I think it yeah.
0: it shows that he was probably a part of whatever legal thing happened with Boo. Um, yeah, he knows Boo's side oh, of the story. He true. knows Boo very well.
3: Yeah, yeah. I
4: thought, yeah. That, that brings up like a thought that I had, but I think that Jesse, you were in the middle of a thought. Or Liz, were you in the middle of a thought? Someone else was in the middle of a thought. I was
1: thought. asking Liz for a thought, okay.
4: but go ahead and give your thought. Oh. Well, okay. I, this is this is pretty separate, but uh, I guess we can go here. I, sure. Let's, okay. Let's, let's, oh, let's travel. We're, let's, we're,
1: we're already going there. We're,
4: we're there. going here. We're on a, a magical Michael ride. Um, oh, that's woo-hoo! a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Atticus Finch, he's, he's a really interesting guy, obviously, and so You know, growing up as a kid, um, I was like, oh, Atticus Finch is the guy like I want to be. But watching it now, I'm like, Atticus Finch is a man who we're seeing in like the middle of his life. We're seeing him. He's 40 plus, right? So he's lived a long life. Well, not a long life. I mean, 40 isn't isn't old, but he's lived long enough in that town to establish long term relationships with everybody there. Yeah. One of the other scenes that's just like emblazoned in my memory. Um, is the scene with the dog, with the mad dog, when he shoots yep. the mad dog. Yeah. It's great. He's like fumbling with his glasses. Yeah. Um, and you're like, this is an outtake, right? And then he just throws them away. Yep. And he takes the shot. He nails that dog. Um, and just blows Jem and, and Scout's mind. Yeah. Um, because everybody knows that he is the best shot in Maycomb. Yeah. So he's just built up 40 years of his life, this this history with people in town to know, where everyone knows that we might not like him, all the time, because he's really good at everything that he does. Yeah, He's the best at anything. And so we don't really want to call him until we need him. Like the judge coming to say, you're I the think guy you do this case. You're, you're the guy. I know you've got your own practice. You don't take care of criminal defendants. Yeah. You write wills like that's your job, but I need you to take care of this defendant because he's yep. proven his metal, right? that was something I hadn't noticed before I hadn't realized that like, Oh, Atticus is a guy who's sort of, you know, lived, lived this life, which I mean, like, that's a key, key part of the story, I think with Jem and and scouts growing up, but I guess it just resonated more for me Mm -hmm. as, you know, a 30 year old man who has been like, man, why don't, why don't people know like that? I'm really good at stuff. It's, because well, they haven't seen you do it Like Whenever
0: friends like talk about How their ACs are messing up I go like yeah. You know I'm here right <laughs> yeah. like, That's yeah. what I do yeah. I yeah. could help it but what what do you guys think about that
1: Yeah Like I, I guess it does help to think of that in perspective I guess this is more of like An old movie thing right sometimes Like you're just dropped in the middle of this amazing Man who is like I, can't, I don't measure up to that like In any way yeah
2: I'm so used to it. I don't even know. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. I, mean, uh, I, think, I think you're right. It, yeah, it is, it, it is an old exactly. movie thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where yeah. They do. Ba- they do sort of basically, set you up.
1: Yeah. But basically that perspective does, does help me. And it, it helps to remember that, that they are, that they have like lived a whole life bef- before that time. Because I guess, if when you see a black and white movie, you just expect that they've already lived for a 100 years.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I also dislike it in a movie where, where there's a relationship between the characters that we don't. Yeah, we don't have to see, but it makes the text feel more lived in and more expressive when that relationship exists and is called back on. Yeah, you know. Well,
4: it puts you right into Scout and Jem's shoes. You're like, yeah. I am Scout and Jem, suddenly realizing that Atticus oh, yeah. is more than than just like an old man and yeah and stuff. And it gets you to sort of it helps you, I think, to to go through the process of growing up with them. I mean, like that scene is really pivotal because of that. I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So, sort of the idea of like Atticus almost is like more of a real person to me now than he was when I was 18 or 12.
3: or For sure. He, yeah. he can
4: seem like an architect, yeah. but here he's a father. Yeah, he, he's like a real person. Yeah. But also, I sort of wondered about whether or not he was quite the paragon of virtue that I, I thought he was to begin with. I'm wondering. I don't necessarily have an opinion. But the thing that really, there, there were two things that made me kind of think, and I, and I want to know what you guys think about it. But so the first one was when he explains, or when he explains to Jem, I think it's to Jem, why he's going to defend Tom Robinson. And he says something like, uh, there's a thousand reasons, son, but the main one is that I couldn't hold my head up in town and I couldn't even command you or your sister. Yeah. And that's like... That's a really interesting line. I think it really connects to both of the other movies that we've done. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we should talk about that in general, but I think, you know, maybe this is a way to talk about it. the other thing is in his um, final defense for Tom Robinson, he really treats Mayella and Mr. Huell, Robert E. Lee Huell with scorn. He, he's scornful towards their, um, he says first that he pities their lack of education and their poverty. And then he says, these poor, uneducated, like a uh, white trash. Yeah. Like he comes down hard on them. That was like, I, I mean, I don't know if that's well, just it's, it's what, what me he in 2020, like seeing that and being like, wow, that's like a brutal thing to say. Um, well, he says, I have nothing but pity in my heart for the chief witness of the state. Yeah. She is
0: the victim of cruel poverty and ignorance, but my pity does not extend so far as to her putting a man's life at stake, which she has done in an effort to get rid of her own guilt.
4: Yeah. It, there's more though. There's more, it is kind of throughout. I mean, even when he gets, um, Mr. Hewell to write his, write his name, he says, now, can you write?
1: Yeah. But he, the idea? He, he's trying to trick him. And I, I think that was yeah. a mistake on Atticus's part to, to an extent, but yeah, he's trying to trick him to show that he's left-handed. Right. Yeah. But yeah, to be honest, Atticus in that courtroom, I, I don't, I don't think he makes the best presentation.
2: It's way better in the book.
1: Oh, okay. Say. Maybe this also bothers me in in courtroom dramas where where this thing happens, where they they create like a separate scenario of what could have happened. I guess that is a valid like legal defense or whatever. And yeah. I guess he does that right, but in a small town, it does seem like you don't want to do that with the guy who can rile up a whole mob. Um, yeah, just a thought. So it uh, seems like it he's does seem unwise. An, like yeah. it it doesn't seem like he emphasizes. The, like actual mechanics of how you would do things if you don't have a, if you only have one hand to work with so personally I feel, I feel
0: like I feel like his audience knows that much more than you or I or Mike at this yeah. juncture at this time I feel like showing a physical inability or a handicap of some kind at that point would have been evidence enough.
3: Hmm. Yeah, because yeah, all this these people are working with their hands.
4: Like this is this is this is these are poor people who work with their hands, and this guy probably time. works on one of their farms. Yeah, like he's a sharecropper on one of their farms probably. for
1: sure. If that, but clearly he's also known as a guy who you can call in and like chop things up for you. It's, he's yeah. known as capable, but yeah.
0: also for, for, for. what that should demonstrate as well is that because he's known, everyone knows his left arm does not work.
3: Mm-hmm
0: All he's doing is reminding the audience, again, this is a world that's lived in. This is not a new man. This is not new information necessarily. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's interesting. Yeah. I I think that in his defense, he is simply reminding everyone of what everyone already knows and then saying, this man, Tom Robinson, could not have done this thing. And I think you all know that he could not have done it. Case Mm -hmm. closed. And now here is my thoughts on the general standing of the fact that this even came to trial.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. I okay. want, yeah. You know what? Yeah. That, I think that's convinced me. That that's Maybe convinced. it's maybe um, it's like Thomas
4: go- More saying uh like when he finally gets convicted, when he says like here's my thoughts on everything. Now that I'm going I to will die, I yeah, tell you. Like Alex yeah, is like <laughs> yeah. I've told you everything. You're going to convict him anyway. Now here's my thoughts on the state of the world and the state of these people. Yeah. But it's because that's I just- would not bend to the marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I still feel like I, I don't know, for me at least, that was a, a revelation and kind of a changing to be like, oh well he's a person. Like he's casting a case in a certain mm-hmm. light, um, where he's not only trying to prove the innocence of Tom Robinson, but the guilt of um of Mr. of Robert E. Lee Hewell. The perjury. And the perjury of Mayella And also discredit them through their poverty and lack of education. Um and then also I, I'm I'm interested in I don't know. I'm interested in hearing you guys' thoughts on that line that he gives to, um, to scout or to Jem about, um, about why he's doing, why he's taking the case. Do you guys have thoughts on that
1: at all? Well, I actually going back to uh, a man for all seasons, right? Well, I personally made the case that Thomas Moore couldn't have been a good father. Couldn't have held up his integrity and, and signed the pledge. And I think it's the same thing with this guy. He's a lawyer, He's asked to defend a mockingbird. You have to do it. You have to, you can't say that you're, that you're a man of integrity and have turned that down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Especially because he probably knew that he was the
4: only man in town who would uh, give him a fair trial, which is why the judge came yeah. to him.
1: There's lit. Yeah. There's literally nobody else. In fact, he's so much the only person that all 12 jurors like, think about it. There, there was no, mm-hmm. yeah, there right. was no juror number eight for, their jury they all just said oh guilty they didn't really think about it like he's the only man in town who can possibly do it well it they, they actually did they actually did think
0: about it That that's a two big hours. line in the movie they liberated that, for a while yeah it took them two hours and they were just like longer than 12 angry men yeah that was less than two hours well no 12 angry men is like what? forever isn't it I think it's like an hour and a half. You? No, I'm I'm pretty sure that they were locked in that room like
4: all all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The well, night. yeah, but the. Uh, th- sorry, I'm yeah. talking runtime. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm making like <laughs> a really bad joke. Like it's not funny because I have to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, no, talking runtime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, well, they they did say how every day feels like it never ends. So, you know, here you go. Wow, you made a great joke, actually. Dude, I, I just had to point I'm out so, how
4: I'm so deep.
0: I'm <laughs> <guy now. laughs> Hashtag deep. Liz, Liz, uh, what do you think about our discussion? Give us, a, give us, give us a rundown. How are we doing versus the eight-year-olds?
2: They were actually thirteen. But, um...
4: <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Eighth graders. Eighth graders. Eight-year-olds. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Eight-year-olds would be.
4: Whew. No,
1: yeah, I, I would right. not want that. Uh, I don't want to see that.
2: I'd say third you guys... grade.
1: Here's rape.
2: All right, well, <laughs> At least at a 10th grade level. At <gasps> least at oh, grade level.
4: wow. I feel, um... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, Are I... just I, kidding. I don't,
2: I, don't, I don't. This has been great, because I didn't have to explain the entire plot to you. So.
0: Oh, that's good. Although, I kind of wish that we had gone back in time and just done that, because yeah. I felt like you would have done <laughs> yeah. a lot of work that oh, we wouldn't yeah. have had to have done.
1: Yeah. Sounds <laughs> awesome. Like, honestly, hearing you say, like, your 8th graders took them forever for you to go through the trial and all the points that he's making... I guess that is so eighth grade, like, yeah, you're just going through the plot and all the logical points that they could possibly be doing right now.
2: Well, some of them got it, but some of them we really needed know, to go it's, point it's by always, point.
1: It's always the people like me that
0: need to go <laughs> along. There are some slow pokes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Jesse. Um,
1: <laughs> it's about time to ask, uh, is this a dad movie? So, wait, why don't we start with our distinguished guest?
0: Our honorary
4: yeah. dad.
1: Liz.
2: I don't know what your uh, standards are for ask, answering that question.
1: You got well, to make it well, up.
2: Okay. I'm also not a dad, but I'll do my best.
1: Do you think I, I should watch this, and, and should I show it to Addie and Ben?
2: I, I, yes, absolutely. I want our children to well, this is hard because I like the book a lot more than the movie. But I really want our kids to read this book. I think that the beauty of this story is that you are encountering these themes through the eyes of a child. And for that reason, a lot of it is kind of padded in a way that it wouldn't otherwise be when they're first encountering so much of these issues. And that's why I think it's a really brilliant book to be um, introducing children to. So for that reason, I would argue that, yes, I think that it's a dad movie or a dad book. And um, I plan on teaching this to our children. Nice. That's cool.
1: That's awesome. Jesse. I really like the story. I think the story needs to be said. Like I said, I I only halfway enjoyed this movie. I literally only enjoyed half of it. (laughs) (laughs) This is this is a hard stance to walking. take. Man. <laughs> this is this is a rough but I, a rough I go want for my here. kids to see the story.
2: Yeah, just but honestly in the book.
1: After yeah, after yeah. hearing you talk about it, I, I really just it's like I want our kids to read the book and then us all like whatever happens though, this story needs to be shown and told, especially in like today's culture. Because like Absolutely. it's really hard to talk about racism
3: mm-hmm.
1: and it's nice to have a story that's made through the eyes of a younger person i i don't think it explains but just acknowledges that it exists and then we can all talk about it and then we can and then we can explain why in 2020 we were at home for all the curfew curfew, curfew. <laughs> yeah that c word
3: yeah
2: oh yeah was Only were- for like two weeks
1: yeah, we need we need a good story to talk about racism. This is that that story. So yeah, it's a dad movie. I'll give it that. But like, I'll watch it and I won't enjoy it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you that's condescend towards uh, admitting
0: uh, one of the most loved movies of all time <laughs> as a dad movie. It's very it's very good yeah. especially one that's about dads. Yeah, uh, really, I mean, really, like, I, really, really I, only about dads.
1: It, I love Atticus. Like I think Gregory Peck by far is the best part of this movie. And he alone is like worth watching the movie for. Yeah, for sure. Um, But yeah, the, the story is something that, that we need to share. Anyway, what do you think Vito?
0: Yeah. uh, Especially, I mean, I, I hate, I hate saying this phrase because this has become very, very pat and very rote for drawing quick and instant attention to something that you find important or impactful is to say that it seems very of the times. Um, what I mean by that is when I say this is really of, of this time, um, is because this is a time less sort of story that is told in a very specifically, um, as we were talking about earlier, American way. I think that this is a classic when it came out and it's a classic now it's lost none of its grit, none of its fervor none of its ability to communicate its message um as time has gone on and even even as time has gone on i think it's only intensified in every way this for me is uh is a classic that i saw too late um and i regret the time that i did not know this story and how it could have informed what i thought of the issues that it brings forward yeah this is for sure for me a dad movie this is a dad story this is a story i cannot wait uh to share with my my children yeah that's that that's what i think what, what, what do you
3: think,
4: Mike? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I think both the book and the movie are definitely going to be important um, in, in my household. I mean, like you guys said, you know, this is a story that, I mean, just like what we've got here is, is we've got people from all these places that are classically like places of inequality, people who have been left, left by the wayside by society and, uh, they're encountering each other and fighting and clashing and, and trying to put each other down. And I mean, and and then we've got Atticus Finch who he's definitely like a man of privilege and he uh, does what I think think you're supposed to do, which is, you know, try to fight for what's right Um, to put, to be a man of conscience, to hold yourself to the highest standard, Mm -hmm. but also hold no one to that high of a standard Mm -hmm. to, 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 Put yourself into other people's shoes and help them be. Uh, yeah. Help, oh, help and- them get there. So yeah, it's a dad movie. It's something that I want my kids to see very badly. I think it's totally, absolutely relevant, and uh, I, I'm really, I'm really interested to see kind of what happens with this story, with the book, and with the movie over the next few years because it's. Yeah. I mean, since it was. From, from the day it was written, it has been both lauded and it's been people have tried to burn it. I think people did burn this book in yeah. day one. Uh, ironically, because of um, the fact that it, it depicted a black man and a white woman kissing,
3: mm-hmm.
4: um, which is just. Yeah, um, I, mean,
0: I mean, the loving, loving case had not
4: gone forward as we had talked about. Yeah, the prior yeah, process. that's right. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. I guess we're not going to have a Mike's a Mike's history corner here, but I mean, we we could, but that'll be a, another day. Yeah. Maybe,
0: maybe we should. Um, so I I will, I will say this is that we will probably do an aftermath episode following this one sort of recapping and then also sort of picking up the pieces because what we set out to do ladies and gentlemen is do uh three of the most critically acclaimed and beloved films. And they all happen to happen in courtrooms. Uh, and, we left a lot of pieces and a lot of topics kind of untouched or only touched upon the tangentially.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, I would love to to sort of dig in with that. So while this may end our not your grandfather's courtroom series of films, we will have a wrap-up
1: episode. Yeah. Um, but, but before go ahead, before we end it though. There's one last thing about Atticus before we get to the topic about like when we want to show the story kids. With with Atticus, I forgot to mention he, he also like prepares to die for Tom Robinson. Yeah. Right, sure, dude. In front of the prison. So like going back to going back like 15, 20 minutes when yeah. he brought up like whether Atticus was like selfless or not when he's when he took up this case, he totally is. Like you can't you can't put your life on the line for somebody and then say that he had like selfish motives going in, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah. Well, I mean, like, I feel like that brings up a million questions that I have personally. Like, <laughs> does anyone ever do anything that isn't out of self-interest? Almost 100%. It just so happens that your self-interest coincides with the interest of others. But that's like, a, sure. a that's a different conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, that, that's, that's philosophy for <laughs> Mike. Yeah. As Mike's
4: existential crisis corner.
0: Yeah, um, as soon as we actually, as soon as we finish talking about, is this a, your father's movie or anything, yeah. that you can have that corner and we'll just turn off the mics. So yeah, great. Can, perfect. That's what everyone <laughs> that wants.
3: <laughs>
4: Yeah, I think that that's a great point, Jesse. And I think that that scene where he talks to Scout, like it's very much, he's trying to teach her and she's trying. he's trying to use this situation to teach like a seven-year-old
1: uh, about something really important to him. Yeah. So last question about To Kill a Mockingbird then is what age do you want to show this to your children? Uh, Beto. My wife, like I mentioned, uh, loved this book
0: and she read it a lot. I think that she encountered it at some point in middle school. And while I think the film itself is is very accessible, the, the concepts it deals with, uh, sexual violence, racial discrimination, classism, and just poverty in general, and the way that different people live their lives, I think make this an older watch. And that might be the first time I've really said that, but this is one of the first movies that we've done for this show that I did not watch with my daughter, even though it was black and white and age appropriate for anyone to really just the images on display are okay to see for Mm -hmm. most people. But no, I didn't, I didn't really want to introduce these concepts at too early of an age. I am going to wait on this one. I'm going to wait until we have numerous discussions about race and also about her place in a society that as we have seen, especially recently with things like Harvey Weinstein, um, or even just if you look at the American criminal justice system in general for forever, you will see that yeah. there's just a, a pattern of violence towards women. And I would like to talk with her about that more before I introduce a movie such as this. So I'm, I'm going to say yeah. between 10 and 14.
4: Right there with you, man. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, this is stuff that we, we've got to, we're gonna to have to bring up with our daughters, right? Yeah. Um, but that's not something I'm especially looking forward to. Yeah, it's 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 a
0: heavy duty, but yeah. I mean, yeah. hey, it's it's we signed up for it. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here for. Yeah. It's you think, Jesse? Yeah, that's right, and it, it must it must yeah. come up for their for their good, for their survival, for their prosperity. The the earliest and the earlier the better to to get these concepts in to understand the world as it is. And what your place could be in it?
3: Um,
1: yeah, it's it's unfortunate, but like, it, it almost seems like you need to have these conversations with the kids earlier and earlier. Like, yeah. these the kids in this movie are just running around town. Like, just just the thought of that, it's like I I'm not even sure how many how many of my neighbors I would trust enough to let my my daughters do that around here. There, there are uh, some neighborhood kids that have come by a couple times that have wanted to
0: hang out with my daughter. Um, And I see them, they're, they're riding scooters around. Um, They're very young. You know, they're, they're between four and eight. I think probably eight is maybe even too old. They're very, they're very small and they are sort of treating this as 1950s Americana. And they come to the door frequently asking if my daughter wants to go out with them. And I go like, I see you on your scooters in the streets. Absolutely not. Hmm. Like, where where are
1: your parents? Who are
0: who are you? Who
1: are you? Like, I don't know you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> why are, why, how do you
1: know my daughter? Yeah, it's sad that it's like that. Like if my if some kids came by that I would say the same thing. Who are you? Where did you come from? And where are your parents? Please tell me they're like hundred feet behind you at least. Yeah, I'm gonna put you on a leash and then I'm gonna call everyone on the block and they can come pick you up. <laughs> yeah, it's sad, but like back then you didn't have to. You didn't have to talk about being kidnapped I guess or being raped which now is like a conversation you need to have with, with daughters
0: yeah and sons and sons it, yeah. I mean I mean the yeah, sex trafficking is, is a terrifying
1: and real thing yeah uh, but said, saying all that I still think middle school is probably the most age appropriate like we well, so the night we were watching this Addie couldn't fall asleep so she actually came out and started watching some of it with us that's just like oh yeah, sure. Like not much happens in this, like at least in the beginning. I remember it was just kids playing or whatever. And then the N-word came up a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, As it does. And then the N-word was said by Scout, who is supposed to be six, seven years old, something like that. And that was who my daughter was identifying with. Yeah. I was like, and Atticus,
4: Ooh. Atticus just shuts that down right away. He says, yes. We do not call. Well, he, he, that, yeah, he says, he's very
0: smart about it. He yeah. he doesn't he doesn't treat the word as a boogeyman. Yeah. He simply he's, he says
1: the word, and he says that is not something that we say. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of in terms of any vile word that your kids can say, like it's that that is the best way to handle it. But it's also not something I want my kids to be hearing because yeah, like no. if, our, if our kids shout it in the backyard randomly because they do they they shout random words I've never heard them hear before. In the backyard, <laughs> and if our neighbors hear that and come over to us, saying Like, do you know what your daughter said?
4: Like, yeah. so, kids have no it's filter,
1: like, yeah, yeah, they're just like, Oh, d-
4: dad seemed like really concerned that I heard this word, I'm gonna say it all the time now. Oh, yeah, it's great. I, I had
1: <laughs> when those words came up and she was there, I just had no reaction. I just she didn't know, like, I just I, I nice. blew right over her she head, didn't notice. and that it just went in one ear out the other. She's like, Oh, that's a word I don't know and I don't care about. It. There's, yeah, there's, huh. there's one time
0: where we were watching a TV show and my daughter came in and, um, I, I, I muted it and, and my wife came in and said, oh, hey, why, why'd you mute it? And I said, oh, it's because someone said ASS. And my daughter says, ASS, ASS.
4: Kids You're are
2: the daytime. best.
1: Uh, uh, what do you think, Liz? When are we going to show this to our kids?
2: Middle school seems appropriate. I mean, I understand wanting to talk to them about these themes before you see this movie, but I also think this movie could be a tool or a primer yeah. for talking about these things.
4: Sure. So. I, I think you talk about some of them before, like race and, and compassion and that sort of thing are all sort of like, I guess, primarily compassion, everything through the filter of compassion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
2: Exactly.
3: Don't
4: judge kinda- a book by its cover. Exactly. exactly. Don't
0: judge a movie by its first half, Jesse. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I didn't. That's why I dubbed it a dad movie. Oh, yeah, begrudgingly. Yeah, begrudgingly.
0: Yeah, yeah. We were all here for that, Jesse.
3: Um,
0: <laughs> well, uh, I I think that about does it. Um, I, like I said, we are going to get to an aftermath episode where we're all going to be able to air uh, whatever it is that we have that are dangling threads. But I, I, I'm I'm happy with this with this conversation. How do you guys feel?
1: I feel pretty good. Yeah, this has been this has been. Some great
4: dad energy that we've all had. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Liz, for bringing the big dad energy tonight. (laughs) You're welcome.
2: I've been practicing.
4: (laughs) We can tell. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It it came through on the audio. No, you've you've been a wonderful guest. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on and and shouldering so many responsibilities and really helping us with this conversation. You've been invaluable.
2: You're so welcome. It was great to talk about it again. It had been years.
1: We'll have you on more often, though, so that way you can...
2: Channel more big dad energy.
0: Channel more big dad energy. <laughs> <you go. laughs> said said so so just like you want me to say this, don't you? You want me to say this, don't you? I'll <laughs> yeah. say it. You're gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of us at Not Your Father's Movies and our spouses and our families, uh, thank you so much for listening.
4: Have a great night. Hey everyone, this is Mike from Not Your Father's Movies. Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on tonight's episode, thoughts on movies that should or should not be in the dad canon, and Most importantly, things Vito got wrong. We'd literally love to hear from you. Shoot us an email with anything you got at notyourfathersmovies at gmails.com. That's notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. And if that's not enough for you and you want more ways to listen to us, reach us, share us, and support us, check out our website at nyfm.podbean.com. That's nyfm.podbean.com. Shout out to Max Agros for our sick theme music. Thank you, Max. And thank you all again for listening to us. Have a great night.